Section 10 of The Begum's Fortune by Jules Verne. Translated by W. H. G. Kingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. An article from Unser Century, a German review. A month before the period at which the events we have just related occurred, a review in a salmon-covered wrapper entitled Our Century published the following article on the subject of Frankville, an article which was particularly relished by the fastidious people of the German Empire, perhaps because it only studied that city from a purely material point of view. We have already given our readers an account of the extraordinary phenomenon which has been produced on the western coast of the United States, the great American Republic, owing to the large proportion of emigrants included in its population, has for long accustomed the world to a succession of surprises. But the last, and certainly the most singular, is that of a city named Frankville. Though the very idea of it did not exist five years ago, it is now flourishing, and in the highest degree of prosperity. This marvelous city has risen, as if by enchantment, on the balmy shores of the Pacific. We will not inquire whether it is true, as we are assured, that the first plan and idea of this enterprise is due to a Frenchman, Dr. Saracen. The thing is possible, as this doctor may boast a distant relationship with our illustrious King of Steel. We may also say in passing, it is rumored that a considerable inheritance, which should properly have come to Herr Schultz, has had something to do with the founding of Frankville. Wherever any good springs up in the world, we may be certain that it is from German seed. This is a truth we are proud of stating whenever an opportunity offers. But, however that may be, we now wish to give our readers some precise and authentic details on the subject of the spontaneous vegetation of a model city. It is useless to look for its name on the map. Even the great atlas in 378 folio volumes by our eminent Tuchtigman, in which every thicket and clump of trees in the old and new world are put in with such exactitude, even this noble monument to geographical science, designed for the use of sharp shooters, does not bear the least trace of Frankville. The place where the city now stands was five years ago a complete desert. The exact spot lies 43 degrees 11 minutes 3 seconds north latitude and 124 degrees 41 minutes 17 seconds west longitude. It will be seen that this is on the shores of the Pacific Ocean and at the foot of the secondary chain of the Rocky Mountains called the Cascade Mountains, 60 miles to the north of White Cape, Oregon State, North America. This most advantageous site has been carefully sought and chosen from among a number of others. The prominent reasons for its adoption are the temperate climate of the northern hemisphere, which has always been at the head of terrestrial civilization, its position in the middle of a federative republic, and in a still new state which has allowed it to secure its independence and rights similar to those possessed by the Principality of Monaco in Europe 
on the condition that after a certain number of years it would enter the Union. Its situation on the ocean, which is becoming more and more the great highway of the globe, the varied, fertile, and salubrious nature of the soil, the proximity of a chain of mountains, sheltering it from the north, south, and east winds, leaving to the fresh Pacific breeze the care of renovating the atmosphere of the city, the possession of a little river, whose fresh, sweet, clear water, oxygenated by repeated falls, and by the rapidity of its course, arrives perfectly pure at the sea. Lastly, a natural port, formed by a long curved promontory, which may easily be enlarged by moles. A few secondary advantages may be mentioned, such as the proximity of fine marble and stone quarries, bearings of kaolin, and even traces of auriferous ore. In fact, this last detail was almost the cause of the site being given up, for the founders of the town feared that the gold fever might come in the way of their plans. Fortunately, however, the nuggets were found to be small and not numerous. The choice of a territory, although determined upon after serious and close study, took but a few days, and was not made the subject of a special expedition. Science is now so far advanced that, without leaving his study, a man may gather exact and particular information about the most distant regions. This point decided, two commissioners of the organization committee took the first boat from Liverpool, arrived in eleven days at New York, in seven more at San Francisco, where they chartered a steamer which in ten hours landed them on the proposed site. To come to terms with the legislature of Oregon, to obtain a grant of twelve miles of land on the shores of the sea, on the crest of the Cascade Mountains, to indemnify with a few millions of dollars the half-dozen planters who had some real or supposed rights on the ground, all this business did not take more than a month. By January 1872, the territory was already surveyed, measured, laid out, and an army of 20,000 Chinese coolies under the direction of 500 overseers and European engineers were hard at work. Placards posted up all over the state of California, an advertisement van permanently attached to the rapid train, which starts every morning from San Francisco to traverse the American continent, and a daily article in the 23 newspapers of that town were sufficient to ensure the recruiting of the laborers. It was not even found necessary to resort to the expedient of publishing on a grand scale, by means of gigantic letters sculptured on the peaks of the Rocky Mountains, that men were wanted. It must be said that the influx of Chinese coolies into Western America had just at this time caused much perturbation in the labor market. Several states had, in the interest of their own population, actually expelled these unfortunate people en masse. The building of Frankville came just in time to save them from perishing. Their wages, fixed at a dollar a day, were not to be paid to them until the works were finished, and their rations were distributed by the municipal administration. Thus, all the disorder and shameful speculations which so often attend any great displacement of population were avoided. The wages were deposited every week in the presence of delegates in the great bank of San Francisco, 
and every coolie was warned that when he drew it out, he was not to return. This precaution was absolutely necessary to get rid of a yellow population, which would otherwise have infallibly lowered the tone and standard of the new city. The founders, having besides reserved the right of granting or refusing permission to live there, the application of this measure was comparatively easy. The first great enterprise was the establishment of a branch railway, connecting the territory of the new town with the trunk of the Pacific Railroad, and running to Sacramento. These works, and those of the harbor, were pushed on with extraordinary activity. In April, the first train, direct from New York, brought to the Frankville terminus the members of the committee who, until this time, had remained in Europe. In this interval, the general plan of the town, the details of habitations and public monuments had been stopped. This was not from want of materials. From the very first, American industry has hastened to load the keys of Frankville with every imaginable requisite for building. It was merely the difficulty of choice. The founders at last decided that the freestone should be reserved for national edifices and general ornamentation, and that all houses should be built of brick. Not, it must be understood, of commonly roughly molded half-baked bricks, but light, well-shaped ones, regular in size, weight, and density, and pierced from end to end with a series of cylindrical and parallel holes. These bricks, when placed together, allowed the air to circulate freely throughout the walls of the building. This arrangement had, at the same time, the valuable effect of deadening sounds and giving complete independence to each apartment. The committee did not wish to impose a model on the builders. They were averse to a wearisome and insipid uniformity, and merely gave a certain number of fixed rules to which the architects were bound to adhere. First, each house to stand alone in a plot of ground planted with trees, grass, and flowers, and to be inhabited by a single family. Second, no house to be more than two stories high. Air and light must not be monopolized by some to the detriment of others. Third, every house must be set back ten yards from the road and divided from it by a breast-high railing. The space between the building and the railing must be laid out as a garden. Fourth, the walls to be built of the patent tubular bricks similar to the model, all ornamentation to be left to the taste of the architect. Fifth, the roofs to be in terraces, slightly inclined from the four sides, covered with bitumen, surrounded by a balustrade high enough to render accidents impossible, and proper canals made for the passing off of rainwater. Sixth, all the houses must be built on a vaulted foundation, open on each side and thus forming under the ground floor a subsoil of aeration, as well as a hall. All water pipes must be exposed, running up the central pillar in such a way that it may be always easy to ascertain their state, and, in case of fire, to be able to obtain the necessary water immediately. The floor of this hall, rising about three inches above the level of the road, must be properly graveled. 
a door and a special staircase will place it in direct communication with the kitchens and offices so that all household transactions may go on without offending either the eyes or the nose seventh the kitchens and offices will contrary to the usual custom be placed in the upper story and in communication with the terrace a lift moved by mechanical force which like artificial light and water will be supplied at reduced prices to the inhabitants will easily convey all loads to this level eighth the plan of the rooms is left to individual taste but two dangerous elements of illness regularness of miasma and laboratories of poison are to be strictly excluded carpets and painted papers the floors beautifully inlaid with valuable woods by clever workmen would be quite wasted were they hidden under a woolen cloth of doubtful cleanliness the walls lined with polished bricks present the brilliancy and variety of the inner apartments of pompeii with a luxury of colour which painted paper charged with its thousand subtle poisons could never reach they are washed as windows are washed and rubbed like ceilings and floors not even a germ of anything harmful can be harboured there ninth each bedroom is distinct from the dressing-room it cannot be too much recommended that the former apartment where a third of a man's life is passed should be the largest the most airy and at the same time most simple it must only be used for sleep four chairs an iron bedstead supplied with two frequently beaten mattresses is the only necessary furniture eider-down quilts and heavy coverlets powerful allies of epidemics are excluded as a matter of course good woolen coverings light and warm and easily washed replace them well though curtains and draperies are not absolutely forbidden it is recommended that if used they should be made of washing materials tenth each room may be warmed according to fancy by wood or coal but to every chimney is a corresponding opening to the outer air the smoke instead of issuing through the roof is led away by subterranean pipes to special furnaces established outside the town at the back of the houses at the rate of a furnace to every two hundred inhabitants there it is deprived of the particles of carbon which it bears and is discharged in a colourless state into the air at a height of thirty-five yards such are the ten rules imposed on the building of each particular house the general arrangements are no less carefully studied the plan of the town is essentially simple and regular the roads crossing at right angles at equal distances of a uniform width planted with trees and numbered some of the roads are wider are then called boulevards or avenues and leave on one side rails for tramways and metropolitan railways public gardens are numerous and ornamented with fine copies of the masterpieces of sculpture until the artists of frankville shall have produced original pieces worthy to replace them every industry and trade is free anyone wishing to have the right of living in frankville must give good references 
be fit to follow a useful or liberal profession in industry science or the arts and must engage to keep the laws of the town an idle life would not be tolerated there there are already a large number of public edifices the most important are the cathedral chapels museums libraries schools and gymnasiums fitted up with the luxury and hygienic skill worthy of a great city it is needless to say that from the age of four years all children are obliged to follow physical and intellectual exercises calculated to develop the brain and muscles. They are also accustomed to such strict cleanliness that they consider a spot on their simple clothes quite a disgrace. Individual and collective cleanliness is the great idea of the founders of Frankville, to clean, clean, unceasingly, so as to destroy the miasmas constantly emanating from a large community, such is the principal work of the central government. For this purpose, all the contents of the drains are led out of the town, condensed and daily transferred to the fields. Water flows everywhere in abundance. The streets are paved with bituminated wood, and the stone footpaths are as spotless as a courtyard in Holland. The provision markets are subject to strict surveillance, and any merchants who dare to speculate on the public health incur the severest penalties. The man who sells a bad egg, damaged meat, or a pint of adulterated milk is simply treated as the poisoner he really is. This necessary and delicate office is confided to experienced men who receive a special education for it. Their jurisdiction extends to the very laundries, which are on a large scale provided with steam engines, artificial dryers, and above all with disinfecting rooms. No body linen is sent back to its owners without being thoroughly bleached, and special care is taken never to mix the washing of two families. This simple precaution is of great value. Hospitals are few in number, for the system of house nursing is general, and they are reserved for homeless strangers and exceptional cases. The idea of making the hospital larger than any other building, and of putting seven or eight hundred patients under one roof, so as to make a center of infection, would not enter the head of the founders of this model city. Far from this— it is in theirs, as well as in the public interest, to isolate the sick as much as possible. This is the plan pursued in the houses, the hospitals being merely for the temporary accommodation of the most pressing cases. Twenty or thirty patients at most, each having a separate apartment, are put into these light barracks, which are built of fir wood and burnt regularly every year. They have, besides, the advantage of being easily carried from one part of the town to another as they are wanted, and being all on one model can be multiplied to any extent. Another ingenious institution is that of a body of experienced nurses, specially trained for the purpose and always at the disposal of the public. These women, being carefully chosen, are most valuable and devoted aids to the doctors. They bring into the bosom of families that practical knowledge, so necessary and yet so often absent, 
in the time of danger it is their mission to prevent the spread of the disease as well as to tend the sick we should never finish were we to attempt to enumerate all the hygienic perfections inaugurated by the founders of this new town on his arrival each citizen is presented with a small pamphlet in which the most important principles of a life regulated according to science are set forth in clear and simple language he is there told that the perfect equilibrium of all the functions is one of the necessities for health that work and rest are equally indispensable that fatigue is as necessary for the brain as for the muscles that nine-tenths of the illnesses are owing to contagion transmitted by air and food he cannot surround his dwelling and his person with too many sanitary precautions to avoid the use of exciting poisons to practise bodily exercises to conscientiously perform every day some appointed duty to drink pure water to eat fresh meat and vegetables simply prepared to sleep regularly seven or eight hours a night such is the a b c of health beginning from the first principles laid down by the founders we have been led on to speak of this singular city as already finished it is indeed so the first house is built the others rose as if by magic a man should have previously visited the far west in order to realize the wonderful change the site that was a desert in the month of january eighteen seventy two contained six thousand houses in eighteen seventy three in eighteen seventy four it possessed nine thousand and all public edifices complete speculation has certainly had its part in this unheard-of success the ground having cost nothing the houses could be sold or let at very moderate prices there being no taxes the political independence of this isolated little territory its novelty and the pleasant climate all contributed to induce emigration at the present time frankville contains nearly a hundred thousand inhabitants but to us the most interesting part of it is that the result of the sanitary experiment is conclusive whilst the annual mortality in the most favoured towns of europe or the new world has never been less than three per cent in frankville for these five years the average has been one and a half even this figure was increased by a slight fever epidemic during the first summer that of the last year was only one and a quarter and a more important circumstance still is that with but a few exceptions all the deaths actually registered were due to specific and hereditary affections accidental illnesses have been at once infinitely rarer and less dangerous than in any other great centre as to epidemics properly so called nothing has been seen or heard of them it will be interesting to follow the development of this attempt and certainly curious to discover if the influence of this scientific regime may not in the course of a generation or more likely still after several generations weaken hereditary and morbid predispositions 
it is assuredly not too much to hope as one of the founders has written and if so what may not be the grandeur of the result everybody living for ninety or hundred years and then only dying of old age as do the greater number of animals and plants there is something enchanting in such a dream nevertheless if we may be allowed to express our sincere opinion we have but an indifferent belief in the actual success of this experiment. We see in it an original and probably fatal flaw, which is its being in the hands of a committee in which the Latin element prevails and from which the German element has been systematically excluded. That is a bad symptom, since the world began nothing durable has been made but by germany and without her nothing perfect can be effected the founders of frankville may clear the ground and elucidate some special points not however on this spot in america but on the borders of syria shall we one day see the true model city arise end of section ten